On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine, it did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The steward called to the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Yay. We're going to start over. So I, we're so grateful for Peggy, and uh, just thank everyone. If you'd uh, say something uh, afterward, happy birthday. She, Justin's totally right. There are so many things behind the scenes that she does day in and day out, and I just, um, we're all blessed. So uh, Trevor Hollenbeck and I went to Bernard Griffith, uh, Griffin the other day, and uh, we had set up an interview with Andy Perdue. We're going to talk about that in a couple minutes, uh, but it was awesome. We were waiting in the parking lot. And Holly Patterson drove up, and, and I knew that she worked um, at Bernard Griffin, but I didn't think about it. And, and as, you know, we were talking, and I kind of got to thinking, you know, I've known Holly most of her life. She grew up in our youth program. I went, um, she went to Washington, D.C. She went to Honduras with our youth group. I was part of those trips. Um, actually, I think Peggy uh, roomed with Holly uh, in Washington, D.C., and, uh, you know, she's just such a blessing. And, you know, I thought about her job is the event coordinator at Bernard Griffin. And I, when I saw her drive up, I realized, you know, that's the exact same job as the steward in this passage in John's water to wine story. You know, the term in Greek is architrikulinos, and it's basically the person who is responsible for managing the banquet. And so uh, it was a real blessing. We asked her to read the passage, and it was just that was an unforeseen blessing. But go, Holly. That was very cool. But I do want to, so Andy Perdue, we've been in this sermon series looking at vines and vineyards and wine, and today we're going to wrap that up. But Andy is basically Yoda when it comes to the, you know, our local wine world. And um, I want to have Andy introduce himself here. Well, I grew up on the west side of the state over in Bremerton, and then I went to school in Bellingham. And my first job out of college was at a newspaper in Twin Falls, Idaho. And then I came here after that and uh, been here ever since. I worked there for 25 years. Well, we, we started getting into wine, uh, mostly through Melissa's parents. They were coming to town we'd, to do some way to go to the wine tasting rooms. And I decided I want to start a wine magazine. So I went to the publisher's office one day and I said, I want to start a wine magazine. I want you to pay for it. And he said, okay. So we started a wine press northwest. When, it, when I think of wine, I think of uh, purity of fruit. And uh, I think of good glasses of wine and memories of 
things I've done and places I've been. So I think uh, wine is a conduit for good memories and good times. One of our early adventures on a trip to the Holy Land, Melissa and I went to the Golan Heights Winery. Uh, it's in occupied Syria. And we stayed there at the kibbutz and then toured the winery and the taste of the wines. And I had to think that was probably a pretty stressful place to make wine. And it was really good. And uh, as a result, we bought the wines more after we came home. And we've always enjoyed them. Because not only is the wine good, but it, it spurs a memory of what, one thing we did that we really enjoyed. So that's where wine is a good memory. Is uh, It reminds you of places you've been, the experiences you've had. So I asked Andy if he could explain kind of the difference between a good wine, an ordinary wine, and just an exquisite wine. Well, usually it's, it's the source of grapes. So from Red Mountain, for example, there's a lot of stress because of heat and because of wind. And the stress makes wine better. And uh, I don't think aging makes much, much difference. I think you should age it on the way home from the, in the car and then open the wine and drink it. Yeah, I, I just think it's all about the source of the fruit. Theme throughout this uh, series, and, and it's been fascinating. Stress is critical for fruit to reach its potential. I just think that's amazing. Stress brings out a richness. There's a quality and a depth of the grape that you wouldn't have without stress. And Andy understands that on an entirely different level. So Walla Walla is east of here, and it gets up into the Blue Mountains. So it gets a little higher in elevation, it's a little cooler. And then a red mountain is lower elevation, the hottest place in the whole state. So the, there's more stress on the vines, and there's more stress on the uh, on the grapes as a result. And what struggles, what challenges you, makes you different. And that's important with stroke recovery. What challenges me, makes me better. I've had a lot of strokes. I've had uh, several. I've also beat stage four cancer, so I've seen a lot of stress in my life. And I know that there's something for me, otherwise I would have died by now. And uh, so, so God has a plan for my life. I don't know what it is, but I'm excited to find out. Stress on grapes and stress on wine make, uh, make for a combination that's important. One of my favorite wines is called Chateau Moussard. And it's from the Bacaw Valley in Lebanon. And at times during their harvest, they were in a civil war. So there were bullets flying around the vineyard as they, uh, as they harvested those grapes. So there was a lot of stress on the winemaker as well as on the grapes. And I think that's part of why the wines are so good. So Andy wrote an article a couple weeks ago in the wine press, and um, it really moved me. And it was entitled, The Wine Knows an Eternal Optimist. And in the article, 
He talked about his first major stroke back in uh, November 2016. And I remember the day that it happened. I uh, met Melissa and Narinjana at the hospital in Cadillac. And a couple days later, I was there when he took his first steps in a walker. That was a huge, huge, huge celebration. I love Andy. He is a really good man. And they're a really incredible family. And his article really hit me um, hard. He wrote about this last summer during the heat wave, the cooling unit in his uh, wine cellar failed. It was July this last summer. And they had to go on a triage through their wine. Um, and they had to dump about 100 bottles of really good wine out. And in the article, Andy said he doesn't drink much wine anymore. And he said it's hard to open a bottle when you can only use one hand. And he can't walk into his cellar and he can't just grab a bottle because of his stroke. But the article was all about hope and about expectation. And I asked him about this. Oh, I think about my cellar and the, you know, the 2,000 bottles of wine that are in there. And I think about where my favorites are in the winery, in the, in the wine cellar, and thinking, well, someday I'm gonna be able to walk in there, grab the bottle I want, and taste that wine again. And that gives me a lot of hope. And it's also kind of a, uh, a story about recovery. So I, I believe that if, if uh, God's got something special for me because he's put me through all these strokes, he hasn't put me through them, but I've survived them all. And uh, I think something special is going to happen at the end. And it's going to be, a lot of it's going to be revolving around wine. So he's an incredible inspiration. And it's uh, his birthday two days ago as well. And I asked Andy to, yeah, we clap for Andy. But I asked Andy about his thoughts on water from wine. I wrote a column about water from wine for the a years ago. And uh, I just thought their mission was really good. And it played off the uh, relationship with the wedding at Kena when Jesus made water from wine. And uh, I think that's important. And, and their, their cause is, is good because it helps people. So it's a good mission. The wines from Water from Wine that I tasted were excellent. So again, it's a source of grapes, and the quality of the fruit goes into the uh, quality of the wine. Water from Wine is very unique. Uh, it's a nonprofit 501c3. And I asked Pat Tucker if he would tell us a little bit about, just kind of a snapshot about what they do. This vineyard is an experimental Concord vineyard in about 2002 when we thought we were going to have to come up with an alternative crop to plant uh, where we had some poplar trees here on the farm. But as it turned out, we decided not to, to plant a lot of Concords, and so we had this experimental plot that, that uh, we had no use for. So we pulled out the Concord vines and we planted the uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, 
but over through the years, that was about 2004 we did that. And over the years, uh, it was neglected. We didn't really concentrate on it. And I thought, well, you know, maybe we should pull it out. Maybe I should try to sell it. Uh, seems like the day before harvest, I'd call around, see if I could sell the grapes. And I didn't spend much time really concentrating on it. But then I thought, you know, if I could do something good with those grapes, Maybe I'd pay more attention to that and we'd, we'd have a good experience. So I thought, well, I could, I could give the money away that we get for the grapes. And then I thought, well, gosh, if I actually made it into wine and sold the wine, I could give that money away to be a lot more. And so that's how we came up with the concept. Uh, and the concept is to bottle the wine and sell it and give the entire bottle cost to a group that does water work in the world. We've supported about 20 different uh, groups so far. We've given away about $780,000 to these uh, 20 groups. And we're, we're really pushing to make a million next year. We thought maybe this year, but with all the COVID and everything, why uh, hopefully next year we'll make our, uh, our million dollar mark. And we've got a lot of great supporters. We've got people that, that love what, we, what we're doing. And uh, we have row sponsors, as you can see. Our church is, is one of the row sponsors. And uh, we're just, it's just been a real good experience uh, since we decided that we were going to do something good with it. We should have that promo video as well. We started this vineyard as an experimental Concord vineyard in about... There's another video back there. But we can skip it if we need to. But it's really cool if you can find it. Eh, it's before that. But let's, let's skip it. Okay. So over the last several years, uh, Water From Wine has underwritten all of the costs for all of our water projects in Honduras. And that's what they do. They, they make grapes on Sandpiper Farms, and then they make wine from those grapes so that they can fund water projects. And they turn wine into water. And I, I just love this. And I don't know if you heard that they're hoping to pass their $1 million mark. And, and I want to kind of put a bug in your ear. And I know we all don't drink wine here. But for those who do, and I know there's quite a few, and then there's a bunch of you lie, so, you know. <laughs> the tradition I came from, pastors were never supposed, to, um, never supposed to drink wine. And when we were ordained, we were supposed to, you know, vow that we, we wouldn't drink. And then also they were supposed to vow, vow that they would never have any debt. And they all just came from, you know, a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. And so, I mean, they all lied like a rug. Yeah. But, like I said, we don't, we don't all drink wine here. But for those who do, I, we should support them. Like Andy said, they make really good wine. And they're a nonprofit. Our elders went through a process. We vetted them. And uh, we're officially a partner with Water From Wine as a church. And, you know, if you buy a bottle, 100% of the proceeds, $30 for a bottle, $30 will go to help with water systems in developing nations, 100%. It's, it's really an amazing, amazing thing. 
and you know, Christmas season's coming up, and you know, a lot of you are going to buy wine for your friends. You can provide pure water as you give wine to their friends. You can join the wine club. I, I actually, I joined their wine club a couple weeks ago. And this is very new for me. I've never, ever, ever, ever done this. But I was really moved by this series. And so when you join the wine club, uh, you, you know, you, it's a great deal. You get a quarterly shipment of wine. And if you're a member, you get a discount. But I got a text the other day. It was really funny from Jamie, who is their executive director. And she said, the fall shipment's going out. And we, we left a box for you because they know I have the code to the winery. And... Um, <laughs> And they, they left a box for me with my name on it, and they said, you know, if you want to pick it up. And I texted her back, and I said, I, I'm, thank you. I've been preaching on vines and vineyards and wine for the last month, and honestly, I haven't, it's been months since I've had a glass of wine, and I kind of feel like a hypocrite, so help me. But like Andy, Andy said, they make excellent wine. If you buy a $30 bottle, $30 goes to uh, provide safe drinking water for someone in the world. And, you know, I never, ever, ever would have imagined pushing wine in a sermon. My grandmother is rolling over in her grave right now. And if you know my grandmother, um, my, my cousin's back there, and he can, he can totally, totally pack that up. But they turn wine into water, which goes back to this wedding at Cana story from John 2 that Holly read for us a couple minutes ago. And, you know, if you were... Here, pre-COVID times, you know about Cana Lodge on Sandpiper Farms. Now, Cana Lodge, we've had a lot of church groups. There should be a slide of Cana up there, the lodge. Yeah, that's on Sandpiper Farms. And uh, we've had a lot of church groups meet at Cana Lodge over the years, our kids' camps, our youth camps. We've had adult retreats, you know, all kinds of stuff. And Pat built Cana Lodge for water from wine's harvest. And of course the name comes from the John passage, but it, it's a great place for their volunteers to stay when they're doing their harvest meals there. And when they first built Cana Lodge, um, you know, I used to go down there a lot, and we lived just uh, about a block away from here, and I would go every Tuesday, and I'd write my sermon on Tuesdays, and it was a great thing. I could look out on the Columbia, and it was just wonderful. And then Tammy and I started spending time down there, and then we started thinking about moving to the farm, and uh, we actually lived in the lodge to see if the commute was doable and with my job and everything. Then when we bought our house and our property on the farm, uh, we stayed another six months there while we remodeled the house, or at least started remodeling the house. I think I'm on about a 10-year plan. But I've had a lot of experiences at Cana Lodge, and, and I love it. And it's really important to me and my family. But one of my favorite experiences was uh, Lindsay and Nathan Jocelyn's wedding at, um, at Cana. And Lindsay is Pat's daughter. And we had an amazing celebration. Uh, this was the, the, the celebration out there itself and the one before. Uh, you know, really wanted to get a sense of the, just the celebration. And that's that John passage that, you know, that all these people coming together in John's world, uh, that would have been a week process, is the point. They celebrated for an entire week. And this just reminded me so much. And there's a picture of Lindsay and Pat dancing. And that's, this is, when I imagine the story at Cana, that's, that's what I think of. People coming together to celebrate 
A couple years ago, we had a series on the signs in John's Gospel. And, and John's Gospel is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, John's Gospel is different in a lot of ways. But one of the ways, the way he uses signs, there aren't many miracles in John's Gospel. I mean, really, there's about seven. And that's very different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's not that John doesn't know about those, but he uses them differently. So in the first 10 chapters, there's 420-ish verses of Mark. There's like 200 miracles that they're referring to in just 10 chapters in Mark. But John, he, he uses them in a very different way, and you just can't even compare. It's an entirely different thing. He doesn't even call them miracles. He calls them signs. And, you know, I was thinking about this this last week, and... You know, I have a, a, a lot of things I've accumulated over my life, but, but this hatchet is one of the most valuable treasures that I have. And when I was in about fourth grade, uh, we had a family friend who, they had a, an entire canyon up out of Dayton, and, and he had a, a um, cabin that he had built, and there was no electricity, but it was all, it was amazing how um, he had, Everything was heated through a wood stove, and we would go up and spend a lot of time there. And one time, he, he made a treasure hunt for me uh, throughout the whole valley. And it took me about a day to find, and he had poetry and everything. But, but this was, all of those little notes were, were signs for my treasure. And, and I really think about that, and that's really how John's signs work in his gospel. Um, we follow the signs, and it'll lead us somewhere. It's meant to teach us something. So the signs in John are these moments when heaven and earth, they, 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 they come together, and God's transformation is experienced. And they come together in Jesus which is exactly what the Jews thought the temple in Jerusalem was, the place where heaven and earth met, the place where heaven and earth intersected. John's signs are meant to teach us that Jesus is the real temple. So John wants us to see these signs and understand a deeper truth that heaven and earth has come together in Jesus. And everything in John is meant to teach us this truth. From the first couple lines, we read, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. There's these signs, and they point along the journey. And, and this veneer between heaven and earth, it, it just kind of gives away several times in John. And, and he's, that's the signs. And so the first two signs, he actually said, this is a sign. And after that, we, we kind of have to do some, some work on our own, and, and, you know, they're there. We just need to figure out what the other signs are. But the first sign is the wedding at Cana. And it's all about transformation. Jesus was present. And reality changed when Jesus' mother told the servants to do what he told them to do. And I just wonder, are there servants here of Jesus? And do we do what Jesus tells us to do? And if so, do we believe when we do this that reality really can change? Because that's what the wedding at Cana is about. John said the wedding happened on the third day. 
What else happened on the third day in the gospel? There's only two stories that include Jesus' mother in the Gospel of John. There's this one, and then there's one in chapter 19, as Jesus is on the cross, and his mother is there. And this is really important, because here, his mother wants him to do something about the wine, and, and they're out, and he says, my time hasn't come yet. But the next time his mother appears in John's Gospel... He looks down from his cross and he receives the wine that is offered to him. And what does he say? He says, it is finished. His time had come. His glory was being revealed, fully revealed, as he died on the cross. See, for John, the ultimate sign, that the moment that heaven and earth met fully, was that moment. And then on the third day, what, what new life burst forth from the tomb? Resurrection. But at the wedding of Cana, the water was turned into wine. And that was the beginning of a journey toward that moment on the cross and the third day. But this wedding was a foretaste of the great heavenly banquet described in Revelation 21, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The holy city comes down, and there's a marriage that occurs, heaven and earth merging together, coming together, This moment in this wedding at Cana, it's a sign for all creation this will happen. And, and there's water jars there. And John says they're, they're stone, they're for Jewish purification laws. And that's a sign as well. Everything in John's gospel is just fraught with meaning. These jars tell us that God, God is doing a new thing from within the old Jewish system. And he's purifying... Israel and the whole world in an entirely new way. And this wedding, it, it would have been massive. I mean, back then, these, like I said, the whole town, but the neighboring villages would come. It would go on for a week. That's why Mary and her son and his friends are there, because everyone was invited. But they wine, ran out of wine really early. And that's not just inconvenience. I mean, you know, this is like a social disaster. It's a disgrace upon the family. So Mary tells Jesus to do something about it. Now, you can't just drive down to Yokes, you know, and grab a couple cases. It's a big deal. And the family are going to be in shame. And the bride and groom, they would have, starting this way, I'm going to talk about bad luck for your entire Marriage. This is not how anyone would have ever wanted to start a marriage back then. So Jesus changes this. John 10 says, Jesus came that we might have life in all of its fullness. Life. The ordinary is transformed. Because Jesus is the point that heaven and earth 
meet. And we can all today, we can take, you know, the times that we come up short. And we can take our failures. And we can take our disappointments to the place that heaven and earth meet. They come together. And Jesus can bring wine from ordinary water. But it only happens when people take the words of his mother here seriously. You need to do what he tells you to do. We need to do what he tells us to do. In the next couple weeks, we're going to start a new sermon series. It's called Head, Heart, and Hands. And from my tradition, and uh, Trevor's as well, John Wesley used to talk about our call to worship God with our head, with our heart, and with our hands. And we're going to look at that. But as Trevor said earlier, we have several different opportunities over the next couple weeks for us to take our, 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 our disappointments and take our tragedies and take our hurt and take our pain in prayer together to God. We'll start next week with an extended worship time, but then on that next Wednesday night, we're going to have a special time of prayer here. Uh, our Stephen ministers are going to lead this one, and it'll be a, an opportunity for us to, I hope, begin a journey. I think over the last year and a half, two years, every one of us have kind of accumulated some baggage. What does Jesus tell us to do with our baggage? If we take it to the place where heaven and earth meet, it can be redeemed. God can bend any evil into good. God can force any evil to be used for his purposes, like Andy was talking about. Then that next week, uh, we'll have uh, an, a healing gathering. We've had, we used to have them um, quite often, and we haven't had one for a while. And we've been really pondering um, I think we have some need for healing right now. Physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, relational healing. So I want you, as we prepare to go into the world, really take a, an inventory. Where are you? Do you need to come to that place where heaven and earth meet? Do we need to offer our baggage, our tomb? Do we need to trade it in for a resurrection? The time is now. You join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for hope. I thank you for life. I thank you for redeeming our hurts and our disappointments and our pain. The things that have been said, the things that we have said. We ask that we might enter into a season of healing. In the name of the resurrected one. Amen.